0: get to speak to all generations. Uh, I believe this applies uh, cross demographically, no matter how old or young you may be or how old or young you may feel this morning. Uh, we believe that, that God has called City Church to be a church that reaches all generations. That's part of our church's vision, we want to look like heaven, and we believe in order to look like heaven, we need to be a church for all races, a church for all backgrounds, whether that be sin backgrounds or socioeconomic backgrounds, uh, and we need to be a church for all generations. At the same time, I think we would be foolish to deny the fact that God has uniquely positioned City Church through our experiences, through our style, through the, the past that this church has. He's uniquely positioned us to reach younger people. Uh, I don't think you can come here and and look at the stage on a Sunday morning without seeing the thumbprint uh, of the DNA of City Church. This church has been called to reach the next generation. In fact, when I first came here back in 2005... The reason why I accepted the position here, uh, this church being smaller than some of the jobs I was offered, this paycheck being smaller than many of the paychecks I was offered, the reason why I chose this church was Pastor Jason, who founded this church, had a vision for young people. He had a vision for the next generation, and I knew that that was what I wanted to be a part of. And so down throughout uh, the years of City Church, I believe the common thread that's really united the different eras and different experiences of this church is this is a church that is passionate to reach young people. When I look across this room, I see so many of you who have given your life to reaching. The next generation, whether that be serving in Kid City or serving in the 662, I could go uh, and spend an hour talking about so many of you in this room who have served as leaders, who have served as teachers, who have sacrificed, who have gone on mission trips, who have given, who have supported what we've done, who have hosted events. Uh, I mean, I could pretty much name almost everybody in this room in some way, shape or form who's been a part of reaching the next generation. And I'm so grateful for that. I'm so passionate uh, about a church that believes in the next generation. Last week we discovered the truth, the scary truth, that the truth is always one generation away from extinction. That the church is only one generation away from dying out, that that the message of Jesus is always one generation away from disappearing. We looked at this this terrible story from Judges chapter 2 how this incredible generation rose up, this Joshua generation that God used in a mighty way in Israel. And then chapter 2, verse 10 tells us that another generation rose up that neither knew the Lord nor the things that he had done. They were just simply one generation away from losing the calling God had on Israel. And so uh, today, what I want to do is, is I want to not speak to the immorality that we see around us, I want to not speak to the, the challenges that we see in the culture, the dangers that we have, we kind of covered that last week, if you didn't, weren't here, go ahead and check out the podcast online, but this week I want to speak to the opportunities, this week uh, I want to do something that I don't believe I have done since I became the pastor, um, I want to speak specifically to the younger generation. I want to speak specifically to young people today, and I believe this message is going to apply no matter how old you are today. If you're a parent, man, this truth is going to be something I hope and pray that it gets in you that you can pour and push down into your kids. If you're a grandparent that you can share with your grandchildren, if you're an older person who maybe doesn't have kids nearby, that, that it's going to challenge you and inspire you to find a young person to mentor, to find someone to pour into, and we're going to be talking specifically about children uh, here in the next couple of weeks, but today I'll really want to speak to teenagers Um, obviously teenagers are a big big part of my heart they are a big part of our church's heart and I want to speak to people uh, in this younger generation even all the way through college age Um, my before I get into that my in-laws are in town this weekend Jim and Edna Kaufman and my uh, my brother-in-law PJ would you give it up for them for us if you guys would wave just raise your hand I won't make you stand up Make sure and greet them today. Get a chance to know them. They're in town for the weekend. They came from Pennsylvania to escape the snow, and they brought it with them so you can blame them because uh, it's coming. But, uh, man, we we're thrilled to have you guys in town. And uh, as, as we were talking, they're actually celebrating their 30th wedding anniversary tomorrow. Can we honor that? That's an awesome thing. And I actually, the first time I met them, I flew up to Pennsylvania Five years ago, for the celebration of their 25th anniversary, and I was up there for three or four days, and my last full day up there was the scariest day of my life, uh, because I sat down with my father-in-law and asked him to give me his daughter's hand in marriage. Uh, Most terrifying thing I have ever done bar none. Nothing will ever, I don't think, even come close to the fear that I felt as I asked him this question. And he was so gracious to me. He answered me immediately with a yes. Uh, If it was me and when I have a daughter and someone's asking, I'm going to drag it out. I'm going to make that guy sweat uh, before I get to the answer. But thankfully, my father-in-law didn't do that to me. Uh, He was fantastic. And uh, man, we've been married for a little over four years and it's been amazing what God has done uh, in our marriage and through our marriage. And we just went and had our ultrasound on Friday. So we got to see a little heartbeat, which is the coolest thing ever. Uh, so it's an exciting time for our family. But, but what I was thinking about as I reflected back on that day five years ago and how far we've come in our relationship and how many things have happened since then is, uh, man, there's so much power when one generation engages another. There's such good things that happen when one generation can engage another generation. I believe that that's what God has called us to as a church, to be a church that encourages, that facilitates, that brings generations together. And so through this series, what we are calling you to, what we are challenging you for is that we would be people who engage the generations around us. If you're a younger person, I'm cur- encouraging you and, and extolling you to engage the older generation to surround yourself with some people who can speak into your life. And if you're part of that older generation, man, I believe that God has a purpose for you in this generation, that God needs your voice, that he needs your example, that he needs your testimony, that he needs your love, your care, your compassion in this generation. And so good things, I believe, always happen when one generation engages another so last week, I, I kind of stood over on one side uh, with, with the young people and spoke to the older generation. And I showed two things that as an older generation, what, what I believe God needs from us, what I believe God is asking us to do. I, we ask this question, how can the younger generation know Jesus if we as an older generation don't show Jesus? That we've got to model it, that we've got to demonstrate the gospel for them. And then we saw the truth that the younger generation doesn't simply need a set of rules to live by, but they need a calling to live for. And so I spoke from the younger generation towards the older generation. Today, I want to flip that. I believe that God's kind of uniquely positioned us between generations. And so today, I want to speak to the younger generation on behalf of the older generation. Mom and dad, we're on a team together today. I need your support. I need your amens. I need you to have my back. We are going to speak together towards the younger generation. I believe that God's given me a message from his heart for young people. I'm, I kind of approached this with the question in my mind: what would I say to a student who's getting ready to graduate high school? And it's not specifically just for those graduating high school. I believe it applies really across the, the teenage years and into the college years. Uh, but with my experience with all the students that I've served with and spoken to over the years, here's a few things that I would really share for people who are coming in to this place. Because here's the truth: not only is the truth one generation away from extinction not only is the church one generation away from dying out but the world is one generation away from revival but this generation we are are one generation away from a move of God we are one generation away from an awakening in our country the likes which which we haven't seen in 230 years we're one generation away and I believe this can be the generation I'm crazy enough to ask the question why not us why not now? Why can't God move in our generation the way we've seen him move in generations past? Why can't an awakening happen in our country the way that it has happened multiple times in our history? Why not us? And so today, I want to come to our young people, and I'm going to give you four things. I had a much, much, much longer list. I had many things that I had to eliminate from this just for the sake of time. But I want to give you four things that I believe are our principles of world changers, for guidelines for changing the world, because I believe that God has called this generation to something great. We're going to start out today in Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. I believe that not only is the generation coming up facing challenges and temptations unlike any generation in history, but I also believe the generation coming up has opportunities very unique, unlike any generation in history. I believe this is the most compassionate generation our country. Has ever seen. This generation will get behind a cause unlike any generation ever before. Now, this generation doesn't follow through on the causes very well. There, there's some lack there, there's some maturity that needs to happen. But there is a compassionate heart in this generation unlike anything I believe our nation has ever seen. This generation is the most connected globally. There's, you can have an influence right now from a computer in Africa, in South America, in Asia, all across the world. This generation is amazingly uniquely positioned. Globally, it's also obviously the most technologically advanced. They understand things. They get things. Many in older generations go to their kids for help with their cell phones or their TV or anything else, their computer, because there's an innate understanding of technology in this generation that many of us don't have. And I'm one of those who doesn't have it, let me add. I'm definitely on the ignorant side of that equation. But this generation is so uniquely positioned to do something for God, which we've never seen. And so last week we saw that this doom and gloom passage in Judges chapter 2, verse 10, that this warning that I believe God would have for us that we are just one generation away from losing truth. And today I want to present to you the New Testament counterparts of that, the New Testament promise that God has made uh, towards the church. It starts in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20. This is a very Common verse, one that I've preached many times, one that you've heard many times, but I want to bring it together with the verse after it, which I've never connected before. It's an incredible truth when placed together. It Says to him who is able, we're just saying about the God who is able. To him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to the power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout. What's it say? God. Throughout which generation? God. All generations forever and ever. Amen. You see, the truth is only one generation away from going extinct in our nation, but globally the truth will never go extinct because globally there is a promise that all generations are going to be represented in heaven. We want to be a church that looks like heaven. We need to be a church that features all generations because the The power of God is such that even though it may fade from one place to the next, one nation may turn its heart away from God, there is always going to be a remnant here on earth in each generation that pursues God, that believes God for his best for their life because God is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine. God is able. This gives me hope no matter how dark the world gets, no matter how sinful things get around us, no matter how foolish One generation may look at a given point in time, there is a promise of God that his truth is going to carry forth. So I want to bring the positive side today. I want to bring the optimism today. I want to speak to a generation of world changers. And as I get ready to do that, let's pray very quickly. Lord God, we thank you for the opportunity to bring this message. God, I thank you for the truth of your word. God, I pray that you would use me today to speak to the hearts of young people. God, I pray that this message would be used to protect a young person from a terrible decision. God, that this message would be used to to connect a young person with the calling that you have on their life. Lord, I pray that this message would be used to inspire an older generation to engage the younger generation around them. God, I pray that, that throughout this series, you would be raising up within this church an increased heart and an increased passion and an increased pursuit of the next generation, God, because we know this generation is so important to you. We thank you for what you're going to speak, Lord. We thank you for using such such an imperfect instrument, even as me this morning. God, speak through me. We love you in Jesus' name. Everyone said, amen. I want to give this to you today in a very simple format. I don't know that this is going to be the most profound message I've ever preached. In fact, it's probably not going to be. I'm going to give it to you very simply and very basic. Uh, It's not going to take you long to process. But these are some things that are burning in my heart for this generation. I guess, uh, like I said, we can call this guidelines for a world changer. Because I don't believe that God is calling young people to merely survive the world. I believe God is calling young people to change the world. And so last week we talked about how we don't just need to give them rules to live by, but a calling to live for. So today I want to speak to that calling for for our young people. Today, young person, I want to point you to the calling that God has on your life to be a world changer, to be part of a generation that seeks his face. I want to show you some things in scripture. I want to share some things with you from my heart that are going to help you to walk out the calling that God has on your life, this is pretty much just basically going to be advice. This is pretty much, if we were sitting at Starbucks, you can just imagine it this way, that you're sitting on one side sipping on something manly, and I'm sitting on the other side drinking a caramel frappuccino because I drink girly drinks. Get over it. Uh, and, And we're sitting there, and we're enjoying some conversation together. This is some advice I would give to you as somebody who's maybe a little bit further along in life than you are. So four guidelines for a world changer. First of all, young person, older person who's going to one day speak to a younger person, you need to learn this. Practice selective hearing. Practice selective hearing. If you don't know what that means, watch your dad. Your dad's really good at it. He knows how to hear what he wants to hear and miss out on what he doesn't. I'm a man. I'm not a dad. I guess I am a dad. Uh, so that's a new thing to embrace. That's awesome. Uh, but, but I'm not uh, experienced in the, the fatherhood aspect of this, but I, I know I find myself and my wife finds me practicing selective hearing from time to time. I believe that we're born with it. It is a gift. It also can be a curse. But I want to talk to you uh, about that type of selective hearing. I want to talk to you about something maybe a little different. This morning, because when I'm talking about this, what I'm say, speaking to is that as I've gotten older and hopefully more mature as a communicator, I've become a little less concerned about phrasing things in such a way that makes me sound really smart or makes me sound really clever or creative. Uh, and I'm okay with embracing cheesiness from time to time because cheesy statements are easy ones to remember. And so I believe that that it's my job, even if you laugh at me, even if you leave here thinking that dude was really lame, I want to give you something that's going to stick in your heart. And so I'm going to give you what maybe you might think of as a cheesy statement today, but you're going to remember it, young person, and that's this. Right voices lead to right choices. Right voices lead to right choices choices, and there is a plethora of voices competing for your attention. There are voices all around you trying to speak into your life, and you are going to need to learn to screen out and filter out the wrong voices which lead to wrong choices and tune your ear to the right voices which will help you make right choices. Mom and Dad, I thought you were going to give me an amen right there. Praise God. Got each other's back today, all right? Right voices lead to right choices. This may not seem so profound, but I believe it has incredibly profound implications in your life. As a youth pastor, I have seen young person after young person after young person throw away calling a God on their life for a season, and those callings are always redeemable, but, but enter a season of pain, enter a season of sorrow, enter a season of loneliness and rejection simply because they did not practice selective hearing, and they listened to the wrong voices. They allowed the wrong people to speak in to their life, and that led to such incredible sorrow, and I've seen so many students do this because their friends are idiots, I say that with love and compassion, but understand, my young person, your friends are stupid. <laughs> Kim gave me an amen. Your friends are dumb. They don't mean to be dumb. I'm not trying to put them down. They're going to get smarter one day. But right now, they're not that bright. And you don't need to place your future in the hands of their advice. Your future is more valuable than that. It is more important than that. God has greater things for you than that. And you need to screen out the wrong voices of the idiots around you. It's crazy sometimes how young people will listen to their buddies who who have not been there, who have not done that, who don't have any experience or any special knowledge about an area, and they'll ignore the parents who brought them into this world. It's sad, it's tragic, it's unfortunate. You know, it's interesting how we don't listen to the people who love us the most, who have the most interest in us being successful. This happens in Scripture, Second Chronicles chapter 10, just a few chapters after what Dwindle brought us to, the, the dedication of the temple of the Lord that Solomon, King Solomon oversaw. Well, King Solomon, a few chapters later, dies. And is King Solomon, this most wise person who ever lived, the wealthiest person who ever lived, this person of magnificent uh, wisdom and wealth and fame, this guy passes away, and he gives his kingdom to his son. His son's name is Rehoboam. It's a name that we're strongly considering for our child. Just kidding. Uh, we will not have Rehoboam sound. So Rehoboam ascends to the throne. My wife's just like freaked out for a second. What are you talking about? We haven't talked about this. Uh, so Rehoboam ascends to the throne in Israel. And he comes to the throne, and he has a challenge that comes almost immediately and he's a young man and this challenge arises because you see Solomon in pursuit of building the temple of the Lord Solomon had to push heavily on that generation he taxed that generation heavily he he worked that generation hard in order to get the temple together and so when Rehoboam comes to the throne the people come to Rehoboam immediately and they say congratulations king we're going to install you we're excited for a new king how about easing up on us just a little bit how about some tax breaks on the middle class how about we, we pull back on some of the forced labor? Uh, and so Rehoboam has a dilemma. What am I supposed to do? He's never been here before. He's never done this before. He has no experience. So he makes a great decision, and he calls together his father's advisors, the elder generation. And he co- brings them together, and the elder generation does exactly what older people in your life will always do if they will, you will let them. They encourage him to sacrifice some things in the short term for a much greater long-term benefit. They say, you know what, I need you to take a step here, and maybe it's going to lose you some things right now, but it's going to pay off huge in the future. And older people have the benefit of longer perspective. They have the benefit of seeing how today's decision connects to tomorrow's future. And so they're going to encourage you to do the best thing today that is going to set you up for tomorrow. So he heard this incredible advice, but he wasn't sure if he wanted to use it. So then he calls together his advisors, his boys, the dudes he grew up with. And he asks them the same question. What do you think I should do? The people want me to ease up on them. How should I respond? And his boys reply, opposite. And they say, no, 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 don't back up on them. Man, you need to go to the people, and you need to to come strong. You need to keep your hands strong, right? And so he tells them, or they tell him, excuse me, they say, you need to go before the people and you're going to say, hey, you think my dad was tough? My little finger is thicker than his waist. And I don't know how that's like a good thing, but that was the thing that he went to say. My little thing, finger is thicker than my father's waist. And then he goes to the next level. He says, you know, dad beat you with whips? Well, I'm going to beat you with scorpions. That's like sadistic. I don't even know what that means. How do you beat somebody with a scorpion? You're a messed up dude. Dude. And so these guys, they give him this advice, and Rehoboam makes the same mistake that young people make time and time and time again in this generation. He ignores the advice of those who are older and he listens to his friends. You know what happens to Rehoboam? Within the very chapter of 2 Chronicles, chapter 10, and by the way, I've encouraged you to read this chapter this week. Uh, If you are a family, if, if you're a parent of a teenager in this room, I would say read this chapter together. You need to see this, but I'm going to go ahead and advance you forward to the end. Before the chapter ends, Rehoboam loses the kingdom of Israel. He loses the kingdom. Ten tribes peace out. They revolt, they rebel, and they're gone and removed completely. God, in his grace and his sovereignty, preserves Benjamin and Judah to be two tribes for Rehoboam, for his grandfather David's sake, because he promised David, I will always keep one of your children, one of your uh, one of your descendants on the throne in Jerusalem. And so he's able to keep the palace in Jerusalem and the two southernmost tribes, but that's it. He loses five-sixths of the kingdom that God had given him, that blessed him with because of one bad decision. Because he did not practice selective hearing. He listened to the young people around him. Time and time and time again, I have seen and you have seen the foolishness of a young person listening to their buddies. So many times I've sat down with someone who's been in a rough place, who's had a destroyed relationship, to to sit down with a young person who's gotten into substance addiction, or sat down with a young person who's squandered uh, an incredible scholarship opportunity, or, or something that God had blessed them with, and start to dig into the story, what happened. And time after time, the story starts out with, well, I had this friend. Well, I had this friend who encouraged me to do this. Well, I had this friend, and when we were together, we always tried this. Well, I had this friend, and they were really into this. Well, I had this friend. I wonder if you were to go to a prison and sit down face-to-face, eye-to-eye, with the prisoners there. How many of their stories would start out, well, I had this friend. I had this friend. Young person, hear me and hear me closely. Wrong voices lead to wrong choices. And if you want to fulfill the calling of God on your life, you've got to learn to screen out the wrong voices and and seek out the input from the right voices that will lead you to right choices that will bless your life. Second piece of advice I would like to give you this morning, young person, is this find your sound and play it loud. Find your sound, and play it loud. As most of you are, I am a, a fan of music, and I, I, I like a lot of different styles of music. I'm kind of uh, a musical schizophrenic. Uh, I, I like stuff from all over the spectrum except country, because that's not of God. But other than that, I know, I know. I'm just kidding. I know there's a lot of country fans here. You guys can go watch your NASCAR and listen to your country. It's okay. We still love you. Just, just know, you get it out of your system now, because it won't be in heaven. That's all I got to say. Uh I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Uh, but I, I like all these different genres, and as I look back across history and look back across the decades of music, uh, it's interesting how so many bands will arise and be popular and sell, but the bands that endure, the bands that last from one generation to the next, the bands who have a legacy are the ones who developed a unique sound. So you can get famous, you can make money by copying somebody else's sound, but you will not leave a legacy. If you want to leave a musical legacy, you have to introduce something new. You look back at the Beatles and they appear at Ed Sullivan's theater and people lose their minds, women specifically, lose their minds at these dudes with these mop tops. It wasn't just the look, it wasn't just the appearance, it was the sound. It was something no one had ever heard before. You look at a band like Nirvana from my hometown of Seattle and as depressed and messed up and tormented as Kurt Cobain was, he's a legend to this day. Long after his death, he's been dead for 20 years now, he's a legend today because he created and introduced a new sound to the world. You look at a guy like Michael Jackson who comes in to the pop music world and introduces dance beats like people have never heard before and wears outfits. That came from another planet. He makes a mark because he brought His own sound. And I look at this generation, and not just this generation, really every generation, and I see how America mass produces mediocrity. How we mass produce clones and pursue sameness. And young person, I want you to know you are not the same as the people you go to school with. You're not. You are not the same as the generation you're growing up in. It is what is unique about you that makes you powerful. Powerful. Quit trying to be like everybody else. Quit trying to look like everybody else. Quit trying to act like everybody else. Find your sound. Find what makes you unique. Find what makes you special and pursue that. Sell out to that. Find your sound and play it loud. See, when that happens, that's when the power of God is unleashed in your life. I look in the scripture at a man named David once again. And and this man, before he became king, he was a lowly shepherd boy. And as a lowly shepherd boy... Once he had to protect his sheep with his sling and he killed a lion. And once he had to protect his sheep with the sling and he killed a bear. And when he gets to the battleground and he's face to face with the giant and he's going to go in there and knock this giant out because this giant's talking bad about his daddy and he ain't going to let nobody talk about God like that. He's going to go in and take this giant out. King Saul calls him in. He says, Before you go to the battle, here's my armor. I want you to put this on. Here's my sword. I want you to take this to the battle. And David's not as big as Saul. He's not as strong as Saul. He's not a warrior like Saul. And he tries to put this stuff on, and he's like, I just look and feel ridiculous. I'm not going to be able to go out there and slay a giant in this. This isn't me. This is you. And by the way, you isn't good enough because you're not willing to go out there and do it. So why am I going to try to be you to go out on the battlefield? i got to be me. I'm the one who God's given the faith to do this. So he takes the armor off. He sets the sword aside, and he goes and he runs at this nine-foot, six-inch freak with a sling and five little rocks, and he pops him right between the eyes because it was what was unique about him that made him powerful. It wasn't what everybody else was doing. So, young person, find your sound. What has God given you uniquely a passion for? What has he given you uniquely a gifting for? What has he uniquely given you experience for? What did you grow up in? What did you grow up around? What is the pain of your past? All of those things are going to contribute to the calling God has on your future. Find what makes you unique and pursue it with all you've got. And this doesn't just apply to young people, by the way. I see people all the time, older people, businessmen who are out there and they're doing accounting or, or whatever business, whatever field they've pursued. And many times they feel like they're not fulfilling God's calling on their life because the church for so many decades has given this impression, if you're not preaching, if you're not a missionary, you can't really be in God's will. If you're not in full-time vocational ministry, and I would challenge you in... Obviously, you maybe have missed God's call on your life. Maybe God did have a different calling for you, but I also believe many times that is your full-time vocational ministry. God gifted you for accounting; He didn't give me with that. God gifted you for those things, and He puts you in that position to use it for His glory. Find your sound and play it loud. Don't mute it. Don't discourage it. Don't apologize for it. Don't feel worthless because of it. But embrace the calling God's given you and the opportunity He's given you, right where you're at. Find your sound and play it loud. Number three, encouragement I would give to our young people today as you step into the next phase that God has for you in life. And this one is so crucial, and this one is going to go specifically, especially to young men. Number three, seize every opportunity that life gives you to grow up. Seize every opportunity that life gives you to grow up you see about three four years ago I I first started studying a phenomenon in youth culture that is brand new in the last 30 40 years really new with my generation and that's this we have this thing that we have called extended adolescence extended adolescence and now we have 30 35 40 year old men still living in mom's basement still live wasting their life away finding their adventure and their excitement in video games, fulfilling their passion in pornography, and that's the extent of their existence. They don't grow up. They're 40-year-old boys. And God has not called you to be a 40-year-old boy. God has called you to grow up and be a man. And this happens on the female side too, but it happens far more commonly on the male side. Seize every opportunity that life gives you to grow up. I look at a person like my little brother, and I know that I talk about my brother a lot, but it's just my experience in my life. And my brother's 30 years old, and he's had a hard time growing up. He's had a hard time seizing responsibility and embracing what God has got for him. And recently, in fact, just a few weeks ago, he, he had a little baby girl. She's just passed, one month old. And I spoke with my older brother on Friday. And my older brother lives in Virginia. And he went down to Georgia to see Nick and to see Michaela, our new niece. And and he could not stop gushing about how much Nick is growing up. He could not stop gushing about how different our brother is, how this newfound responsibility, he has stepped up to it. He has risen to the occasion. And don't get me wrong, Nick's still got some growing up to do. Nick's still got some rough edges for God to knock off of him. He's still got some steps that God has for him to take. But John was so proud of Nick. He couldn't stop talking about how much my brother is growing up. And I'm so grateful for that. I'm so excited to see that didn't have to happen at 30 years old. It could have happened at 18. didn't have to happen when he knocked somebody up and got a kid. It could have happened by seizing the opportunities that God placed in his hand. And so, young person, I encourage you, seize the chances God gives you to grow up. Get a job. Work hard. Go to school, man. If, God, if you feel like, hey, college is part of your future, don't party your way through school. Work your way through school. I saying not to enjoy yourself. Man, Cody Rogers had a ping pong party. Friday night, we had a tournament. I had a blast. Finished second place. I was the first loser. It's all right. Uh, But, man, I had, had a good time. You can have fun as a man, but grow up. Embrace responsibility. Embrace the opportunity that God places in front of you. Because if you don't, if you don't, you're going to miss out on so much of what he has for you. The Apostle Paul says in the book of 1 Corinthians in this letter, he said, When I was a child, I I thought like a child, I acted like a child, I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. And when I look at this generation, I see so many growing up in my generation who are setting a bad example for the younger generation who aren't putting away childish things, who aren't embracing the responsibility God has placed in our life. And so young person, grow up, and I don't say that as as a... Backhanded slap to the face. I say that as a calling that God has placed on you. You are supposed to grow up. Side note, mom and dad, they're supposed to leave. Let them go. They're supposed to grow up. They're supposed to get a job. They're supposed to move on. That's a good thing. I know it might hurt to say goodbye. I know it might be hard to trust them, but it's supposed to happen. Let it happen. Trust God. Have enough faith that God put that arrow in your hand for you to launch it and propel it out into the future instead of trying to hold on to that kid and depriving them of the calling God has on their life. Seize every opportunity to grow up. Last piece of advice I would have for you this morning, young person, and really, this is for all of us, is number four, just keep showing up. If you're going to get knocked down. Life's going to have some challenges. There's going to be some pain. You're going to mess up. You're going to blow it. You're going to make a mistake, and it's going to blow up in your face, and it's going to hurt. It's going to be humiliating. Just keep showing up. Don't quit. Don't give up. Don't get discouraged. Don't let the enemy steal your future. I believe very strongly that the biggest difference between those who arrive at the finish line and can look back at a legacy of how God has used them time and time and time and time and time again and the people who get to the finish line broken and beaten and discouraged and feeling worthless. I think the biggest difference is not necessarily these people had better advantages. It's not necessarily these people had more money. It's not necessarily that the people with the legacy made better choices about who they married. It's not necessarily that the people with the legacy got better job opportunities. It's not necessarily that the people with the legacy had better giftings or were more passionate or were more caring. It's simply the people who make it to the finish line with the legacy, when they screwed up, they got back up. They kept going. They kept pushing Through Proverbs 24, 16 tells us that a righteous man falls seven times. That's the righteous is going to fall seven times. You can't fall seven times if the first time you fall, you decide it's kind of comfortable down here. View's not so bad right here. I might just hang out here for a little while. I might just cry myself to sleep. I might just enjoy this pain and let somebody else take care of me for a bit because I messed up. Righteous man falls seven times because when he falls, he gets back up and he's determined, I'm going to run a little bit further this time. And I might trip again and I might fall again, but I'm going to get as close to Jesus as I can. And when I fall the next time, I'm going to get up again and I'm going to go for it again. And when I fall again, I'm going to get up again and I'm going to pursue him some more. Just keep showing up. I look at the example of a man like Peter. In scripture, and Peter's this, this disciple who goes on to be used by God. Peter preaches the first message after the Holy Spirit falls on the day of Pentecost. The church goes from 120 people to 3,120 people. No one in the history of the world has ever seen the church of Jesus Christ increase by such a dramatic percentage when God spoke through them as the apostle Peter did. That guy, if you go back into the gospels and read his story, you think he's the most unlikely person. To ever be used by God, he falls time and time again. He's out in a fishing boat, and he sees Jesus walking on water. And he decides, I'm going to walk out there to Jesus. And he steps out of the boat, which is pretty dope in and of itself, that he had the guts to even take the step. And then he starts walking on water, which is mind-blowing amazing. But then he looks at the storm, and he sees the waves, and he hears the wind, and he begins to sink. But you know what's so amazing about that story to me? Jesus catches him, which is pretty awesome. But Jesus doesn't pull, like, go-go gadget arms. He doesn't come at him from 30 feet across the waves. says Jesus reaches out and grabs him. In other words, when Peter fell, he fell close to Jesus. And what I would encourage you to do, young person, is you're going to fall. You're going to mess up. You're not going to do this thing perfectly. But when you fall, fall close to Jesus fall close to him, Jesus was able to pick Peter up because Peter was moving towards Jesus when he fell the mistake we make is when we fall running away from Jesus It's when we fall with our back turned to Jesus, Jesus didn't put Peter down, he didn't tell Peter well that's it I'm going to have to find a different disciple we're going to start recruiting some new people and you're going to be replaced he just picked Peter up and that same disciple, that same person Peter who, who when he fell time and time again he didn't decide This disciple thing isn't really for me. He didn't decide, well, maybe I'm going to go check out John the Baptist's group, and maybe I'll fit in a little better over there. Maybe that's a better fit for me, for my skill set. Every time he fell, he pursued Jesus closer. He denies Jesus three times. He falls spectacularly. He tells Jesus, this is the most amazing one to me, he tells Jesus you're wrong when Jesus says he's going to die. No, you're wrong. I know better than you do about you. Jesus, Uh, Jesus responds and says, no, get behind me, Satan. That's a dish. That hurts. Jesus calls you Satan. That's going to sting for a little bit. Uh, Peter didn't get offended. He didn't peace out. He heard what Jesus said. He received the correction, and he applied it. And the story didn't end there. Jesus asked Peter this question. He says, Peter, who does everybody say that I am? What's the conversation about me in the world right now? Peter responds, he says, well, some people say that you're Moses, and some people say you're Ezekiel, and some people say this, some people say you're John the Baptist, reincarnated, some people say this, some people say this. Jesus asks the most important question, the question that each and every one of us needs to answer for ourselves. Whether you're young, whether you're old, whether you're somewhere in between. He says, who do you say that I am? So that's the question of life. The question of life is not what's the meaning of life, what's the purpose of life, what am I supposed to do with my life? The question of life is who do you say Jesus is? If you get that one right, the rest of it's going to come together. But if you get that one wrong, as so many people do, things are going to fall apart. And so Peter answers spectacularly. He aces this test. He says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Matthew chapter 16. He responds this way. And then Jesus comes back to Peter with these two statements. First of all, he says, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because... The flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you. You heard this from the Father. The Father revealed this to you. You can't figure this out on your own. God's got to enable us to embrace Jesus as the Messiah, first of all. And then he says, I'm going to change your name. He says, you've been called Simon, which which means kind of shifty, which means undependable. I'm going to name you Peter, which means rock, which means sturdy. And he says, on this rock, I'm going to build my church. That's incredible right there. And then he goes on to say this, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. When we get a revelation of who Jesus is, we can't lose. When we get a revelation of who Jesus is, the gates of hell cannot prevail against us. So I want to wrap up service a little bit differently today. If you are in this room today and you are 22 and under, your are college age and under, I want you to stand up. I want to speak to you for just a couple of minutes couple of weeks we're going to bring our kids' city in here and we're going to do something similar with them on a different level uh, and we're going to pray over them but but young people I want to speak to you today keep showing up things are going to go wrong in your life keep showing up I want you to know that that heaven loves you Jesus loves you and hell hates you, you need to understand this hell hates you hell hates the calling of God on your life hell hates the deposit of the Holy Spirit in you, Hell wants to destroy you. It wants to come after you. Hell wants to give you mistake after mistake, heartbreak after heartbreak. and wants to steal the purpose in your life. And so what we've decided as a church, what we affirm, what we speak, what we claim for you, what my prayer is for you this week, and I'm going to speak it directly into each and every one of you on every eyeball looking at me, young people. The gates of hell shall not prevail against you. If you get a revelation of who Jesus is, if you grab hold of the fact that He is the Christ, He is the Son of the living God, He's got a calling and a purpose for your life, doesn't mean you're going to do everything perfect, doesn't mean you're going to ace every single test, but if you push forward through the mistakes, if you keep showing up, if you stand back up when you fall, the gates of hell will not prevail against you. It won't. That's the promise of Jesus. The enemy cannot snatch away your future. He cannot snatch away your destiny. He cannot snatch away your calling if you keep holding on to Jesus, if you keep showing up. I want you to know this, young person. Hell hates the fact that you're here today. Satan hates the fact that you, and for many of you, your family are in church today. For many of you, your family is not. He really hates that you're here, even without your family. Hell hates it. God loves it. We love it. We celebrate it. Keep yourself in church. You don't have to be in City Church the rest of your life, but you need a church family. Man, you need a church family. You need the body of Christ around you. It's not going to be perfect. They're going to make some mistakes too. Don't make the mistake that so many do and and give up on the church. Give up on what God has for you. Keep showing up. You're going to mess up. You may make a mistake in your school life. You may make a mistake that harms your testimony. You may make a mistake that other people see and all of a sudden they look at you a little bit differently. Don't give up. Don't fall. Don't don't slip up. Don't stay in that moment. Just keep showing up. Get a hold of God's calling for your life. Get a hold of the fact that he wants you to study the word of God. Man, Satan hates it when you read the Bible, by the way. I like making Satan mad. I like... Punch him in the face. If you ever just want to get, man, things are falling apart around you. There's some bad things going on in your family. There's some pain in your life. Open the word of God. That's the best direct punch you can give him right back to his face. I'm not going to give up on God. I'm not going to give up on my calling. I'm not going to give up on the purpose of God in my life just because some things started to go wrong around me. Grab a hold of it, young person. The gates of hell will not prevail against you. So what I want to do, I want to ask you guys to come down here in the church. I'm going to ask you to to come around them. We're going to pray. We're going to lay hands on these young people and pray for them. We haven't done this in I don't even know how many years at City Church. It's been too long. We're going to pray for the next generation. Like I said, we're going to do this for our kids. city. Here, spread out just a little bit so we can get everybody up here. Uh, Just even wrap around the stage if we need to. We want to get everybody down here. Church, if you would, if you would feel confident in this and the Spirit of God inside you to come down and lay hands on a young person. We're going to pray God's protection for them. We're going to pray God's calling for them. We're going to speak and release the fact that the gates of hell cannot prevail against our kids. Can somebody say amen? Amen. Praise God.